0: vanity politics and ideals of black love has a lot to do with for lack of a better word just generational curses hey griot fam welcome to dear culture the podcast that gives you news you can trust for the culture i'm your co-host shauna pinnock social media director at the
1: griot and i'm your co-host Jaren keith gainer managing editor at the griot and this week we're asking dear culture why is black love the greatest element to black life
0: even get into the show G you and I have talked about this a little bit offline what has been on both of our minds this week I'll let you you know inform the folks tuning in
1: okay I'll set the stage so Chloe Bailey is one half of the super girl group sisters real life sisters Chloe and Hallie. And they recently created their own Instagram accounts. If you ever follow them, they do everything together. They record music together. They act on the same show together. They live together, I think, or at least maybe not right now. (laughs) <laughs> and Chloe Bailey she's the older sister and she is now in the limelight for being sexy she's showing more of her individuality on social media and it started out with the busted challenge I'm not sure if our listeners they should know what the busted <laughs> challenge is but it's been very entertaining to watch all the different challenge uh, videos mm-hmm. and many people concluded that Chloe was the queen of the busted challenge after she just nailed it mm-hmm. and then she subsequently decided to share more of her individuality and her sexy image and really her just being more of herself. Mm -hmm. And it eventually turned into critiques about her being too sexy. And she was accused of trying to seek attention by good girl gone bad route that we've seen some artists do throughout the test of time. And I guess I'll start off by saying that It's always frustrating because men don't have to deal with this when, you know, I think about other young artists. This is the best one I can think of right now, Justin Bieber. When he decided to be sexy and take his shirt off, no one really cared. You know, his fans were with him every step of the way. But it seems like when women do it, young women, especially Black women, decide to take autonomy of their image, whether it's on the stage or off the stage. Everyone has a lot to say. And I can only imagine the pressure that one must feel when you have the whole world looking at you and you can't even make a simple decision like post a video of you in your underwear in your bedroom of burning Palo Santo. You know it shouldn't be a controversial act it should just simply be this is an artist or a woman rather sharing herself with the public and if you don't like it there are other accounts you can follow but it just seems like we have a problem with black female sexuality and it's pervasive and I can only imagine you Shauna as a black woman how you feel about this.
0: Yeah so as a black woman and as a social media director. I, who has made a career in social media, so I know the loves and the hate for, you know, the various platforms. My problem is, is that social media has emboldened a lot of people to think that their opinions matter when they don't. I long for the days when the only celebrity business or closeness that you could get is if they decided to do a film or something, you know, some kind of documentary, if they decided to do like some kind of in-depth interview. And then all, you can do is read Word Up magazine and shut the hell up and discuss it amongst your your friends. I am incredibly frustrated to see, as you said, a young Black girl who is a young black woman, because let's be very clear, technically, Chloe is grown. Chloe is in her 20s. <laughs> and I think we need to take a moment and first off recognize that we're watching these young ladies grow up before our eyes, right? So they started as teenagers. As a matter of fact, our first introduction to Chloe was opposite Beyonce in that, what is the hell is that terrible movie with her? Finding Temptations. There we go. I was like, yeah, it's a terrible film, but Beyonce did a thing, but terrible film. <laughs> and, you know, watching her go from that to this sexy being that she is now. And don't get it wrong. Chloe Bailey is hot. Like that girl, fire. Get it, sis. You deserve. The fact that Chloe even felt that she needed to address the backlash that she was receiving is so irritating because it's like, as she explained, yo, I've struggled with self-love, I've struggled with self-acceptance. She had issues with her body and her weight and all this other stuff. And what I think most people fail to realize is when you get to that point of self-love and you're like, damn, I do look good, you know, all right, let me put on a freak of dress and enjoy my little self in the house, whatever. It's not about seeking attention. If Honestly, that feels like rape culture language. It's not about seeking attention. It is, yo, I am happy. And Chloe Bailey felt so close enough with her fans that she wanted to be able to share that closeness and allow for these intimate moments. That's why her and Hallie have different accounts right now. I mean, aside from the fact that Hallie's over here, you know, being a (laughs) red-haired princess fish, you know? (laughs) A mermaid and such. But they're allowing these opportunities for their fans to feel closeness and intimacy with them which is such a double-edged sword when you really think about it because then it's like y'all complain that you don't know enough about celebrities lives and then when they do let you into certain parts then y'all have crap to talk it's insane to me other thing and this is where i find the most frustrating because i already knew men were going to be annoying and oh well look at what she's trying to do, 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 do whatever else fine what really pissed me off was watching other black women have certain commentary towards this let me be very clear the same way how for black people in general need to understand that respectability politics will get us nowhere please understand aunties all right the cheryls and (laughs) of the world i need you to understand that bs that we've been taught As women about modesty will also get us nowhere. You can be modest and guess what? You can still be raped. You can be modest and you can still be sexually harassed. You can be modest. And these fools out here, I was about to say another word, but these fools out here will still call you a hoe. What does it matter if I show my ass, if I don't, if I show up in a full burka, you still going to find something to, to talk crap about. So how about this? How about everyone, you need to shut the hell up. If you don't like it, you can go ahead and scroll past if you think she's looking for attention. Well, guess what? She doesn't have to get your attention. That's all. Yeah, I'm over it. <laughs> totally over it.
1: You can be free, please.
0: Just, and I say this on behalf of the Grio as well as I'm gonna speak for Chloe Bailey and for Hallie Bailey right now. If you decide all of a sudden you have a problem and you would like to unfollow, this is not an airport. Do not feel the need to announce your departure. You can just go. Exhunt to the left. <laughs> But let's not even get into that. We're here to talk about love today, Jaren. So. As you know, the second it becomes February, we of course celebrate Black history, but also honor Black love and life here at the Griot. From enslavement to denial of citizenship, Black people in this country especially have gone through it all. But luckily, we've always been able to come out on the other side with greater and higher love for ourselves and for our loved ones. It's truly incredible how much Black love is one of our culture's greatest pictures, if not the greatest pictures to Black life both in the States and the greater diaspora so without further ado let's get into how much we love
1: to love so shauna when i think about the history of black people you know Black people have been through a lot, but the one thing that has endured and continues to anchor the Black community is Black love. When you look back on history, what Black relationships stick out to you?
0: Well, of course, you know, I got to talk about Michelle and Barack, you know, that's number one. And I say that because we had Barack Obama for eight years and nary a scandal about cheating or oral sex in the Oval Office. Nary a scandal about some baby popping out of the loop. None of those things. And we've been able to get not too much in their business, but Michelle and Barack have been fairly transparent about the struggles of their marriage as well as the triumphs. You know, I think in Barack's latest book, he talks about like towards the end of his presidency, like Michelle was like, listen now. We ain't finna do too much more of this nonsense. I understand you're the leader of the free world and whatnot, but you started to piss me off. And what I love about Michelle and Barack's marriage and relationship, at least from what we've seen, is that it is a black love that didn't have to be a black struggle love. And when I say black struggle love, I'm not talking about, you know, them being broke. I get it. Barack was poor when they first got together, right? I'm not even talking about that. When I say Black struggle up, I'm talking about, oh yeah, well, he cheated on me 15 times, but we got through it. Oh yeah, well, you know, he had a baby on me, but we persevered, screw all that. No, 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 no. This was a relationship that has been based in mutual respect and admiration for one another, and it comes off as a partnership. Speaking of partnerships, you know, you've seen other examples of black love like Angela Bassett and Courtney B. Vance. First off, still working to this day. All right, Courtney B. Vance over here in Lovecraft country doing his thing. Angela Bassett. Listen, yes, get money together. Viola Davis and Julius Tennant, I believe, started their own like production company. And yeah, you're going to give me two chocolatey brown people together. Yes, that is what I love to see. That is what gives me joy. <laughs> what about you, Darren?
1: I think everyone's favorite black couple is going to be Barack and Michelle, just hands down. Mm -hmm. And I think it's mainly because on one end, they reached the highest arena in the world, really. And so it was very impactful for the black community to see Barack and Michelle on that stage. The many stages that they occupied as the president, as first lady, and as a black couple that, you know, they didn't really have to hide their blackness. Or at least, you know, Michelle was like a whole black woman from Chicago, you know.
0: Like she smelled like pink's lotion. I'm telling you. <laughs>
1: And to see that Black man love on that Black woman from South Side of Chicago and have two beautiful Black daughters, it's always inspiring. But also I think the Obamas not only represented Black excellence, but they've been very honest and there was a genuine love that you saw between them. You know, sometimes when you see couples in politics, you go, oh, they might love each other, but they might only tolerate each other. Mm -hmm. But when you saw Michelle and President Obama without being too vulgar, you can tell that they have a very healthy love life back at home. (laughs) 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 That's what comes off with the Obamas, and I hate to say it, but it seems like the Obamas and also Viola Davis and Julius Tennant, and there are several, I should say, Black couples that have endured and have become models for the community. But it feels like there's not enough couples out there representing Black love. So often we hear these conversations and debates about interracial relationships and why Black men can't seem to want to be with Black women. And if they are, it's a certain type of Black woman. She's kind of racially ambiguous. And so when you see two Black women and a Black man or same-sex, and they're like-
0: Physically Black.
1: They're physically Black. (laughs) Openly Black. (laughs) Black and they're pro black. We don't see enough of that. And so I think it kind of creates this adulation, this we kind of prop them up on a pedestal because we don't often feel like we see healthy examples of black love. And I always will have a deep respect and reverence for the Obamas in particular because they've done it in such a commendable way. You know, they talk about their marital issues even in their books and in interviews and they had to go to therapy to save their marriage. So they They were saying, yes, model after us, but we also want you to know that marriage, whether you're black or white or whatever, is hard and it takes hard work to keep a marriage together. And this is how we navigated those issues. And I think even that is admirable because they showed us that you don't have to be perfect to have enduring black love either.
0: This is very true. You know, you can talk about all the touchy-feely stuff, but sometimes you got to get into the muck Two, right so speaking of relationships that stick out you and i both know that there are some influential black love relationships that looked pretty for the cameras but were mm, pretty terrible off screen <laughs> <laughs> a little off. So, gosh, and I hate to say this, but you know, think along the lines of Bobby and Whitney. And please don't drag us for this, but I need to say it, M.O.K. Okay and Coretta. You know, we all know that there's a little shakiness there. Why do you think that some of the most powerful representations of Black love have been tainted with what I like to call vanity politics? Like, we got to make it look pretty for everyone else.
1: You know, it kind of picks up on what I was saying earlier, but when you think about The things that came between Black love Mm -hmm. was slavery, violence, the government. There's so much that has separated us as a community, especially the relationship between Black men and Black women. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we really regard images of Black love to the point in which that we might overlook the fact that there are cracks in their relationships. And so we want to see this perfect relationship. And sometimes that creates pressure. I can only imagine being Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown in their heyday when everyone's looking at them and they're like the princess and the prince of music really at that time and wanting to keep a good face even though you might be struggling in your marriage and even with the M.O.K. and Curtis Scott King conversation like we all know the rumors that he was not faithful to his wife and it showed that M.O.K. was a man he was still a man it does not take away from the brilliance of who he was and the things that he has accomplished, nor does it mean that he didn't love his wife. And I think that sometimes when we talk about infidelity, we kind of imply that somehow there's no love in the marriage still. And there are a of reasons why people cheat. And a lot of that, we can also trace back to white patriarchal ideals Mm -hmm. and men being reared to believe that they can have whoever, however, whenever they want. And so there's a history of that when you look at the relationship between Black men and Black women. And so I don't think it's a tainting. I think it's more so that's real life, that not all relationships work out and no relationship is perfect.
0: I think for me, it's because I'm a person who I believe in, like, you know, we need to operate in transparency, which I'm so thankful that I'm not a celebrity because, my God, that just looks heinous (laughs) when you really think about it. But so say, for instance, here's another example of Black love that I mean, they've actually been pretty real with us. And I would say Beyonce and Jay-Z, you know, we saw Solange lay hands and feet on Jay. And we wondered for a couple of years, what the hell was this elevator incident about? And then here it was with Lemonade. And as we're all watching on HBO, like, is she announcing that she left (laughs) them? As this musical film was playing for us. And then you see the reconciliation at the end. You're like, oh, I guess they're staying together. You know, (laughs) here we go. Got it. All right. Makes sense. 441 came out, and Jay kind of offered his little area of oh this is what happened from my perspective and yeah you know I had to do some work on myself in order to be a better husband and a better father. You know I can't help but think that us upholding certain again vanity politics and ideals of black love has a lot to do with for lack of a better word just generational curses. I can speak for our generation I think and especially millennials have a really bad habit of romanticizing old school relationships right like we will sit there and talk about how oh our grandmas stay and grandparents stayed together for 40 50 60 70 years and they never broke up and whoop do whoop whoop and i think it's one of those things of like you have to understand the time in which we were in right? Let's be very clear. This is a time where women couldn't just up and leave. It's not a time where if he's doing you wrong, if he has another family, what you gonna do? He pays all the bills, you know? I mean, but let's be completely honest. Black folks, you know that you have an auntie or a grandma or a grand aunt somewhere who has probably caught a body or probably caught some charges (laughs) back in the day, back in the day, because they weren't here for the nonsense. They weren't here for the mess. And I think as a person who I've watched for, oh my gosh, Thursday, when this episode comes out, my parents are actually celebrating their 30th wedding anniversary. You know, they're celebrating their 30th wedding anniversary and mind your business. Yes. They got married when I was like three, But 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 watching them and knowing all of the things that they endured in their marriage, I tell people all the time, I would love to have a marriage that like my parents have now. All that crap they had to go through to get here now as they're in their 50s. My dad's birthday is actually today, turns her 59. Like, for, no, I'm not interested in any of that. It actually kind of makes me sad when you think of these relationships that we've kind of upheld and we're like, oh, that like, these were so great. And then you start finding out truth in history behind them. And the reason why is because I wonder, let's say for argument's sake, you know, Coretta Scott King and MLK, the rumors around that are true. This is hypothetical. <laughs> so let's say that that's true. How lonely must have Coretta have felt, you know? having to deal with all that. It's not like you could come out and be on The shade Room and get on Instagram and talk about MLK and you know, this fool was out here cheating and da, da, da. it wasn't like that back then. Can you imagine how many times have we seen, especially for Black women in particular, who if they've broken up with someone and then may have said something ill toward <laughs> this man and people jump on that Black woman. I can't imagine Coretta Scott King coming out being like, no, he was a dog, a low, he laid it low and spread it wide. I can't even imagine how much Black people, men and women would have dragged Coretta through the mud. Like if MLK, let's say his true love was a white woman. It hurts to know that he had to give that up. You know what I mean? And granted, we've seen so much beauty come from these relationships, but I feel sad for them. I do. Vanity politics just means that you're not living in truth. And I personally don't see how a good marriage, not just any marriage, a good marriage can last without there being truth involved. That's kind of where I'm at (laughs)
1: with it. Absolutely. I have to agree. I think we have to get out of this idea that we have to just stay with someone just because we marry them. Divorce is an option. Even if you're not married, leaving that man is an option. Your happiness, should, your truth should come before this image that you might try to uphold or what your family or what your friends might think. You know, I feel for, you know, allegedly the Curtis Scott the world. As you're also thinking about what are the repercussions if I live in my truth? What does it mean for the larger community? And that's something that I think Black people who are public figures often have to struggle with. And it's really important that for those of us who don't have to carry that burden, it's important for us to live in our truths. And also it's important to not overly idolize any relationship because you just never know what's going on
0: listen because lord only knows if some mess had had popped off and here go barack i would be like damn it barry (laughs) i don't need this right now like listen i'm over here watching lebron and savannah like come on keep enduring i don't want to hear no nonsense lebron (laughs) keep it quiet like i don't want to hear nothing but Yeah,
1: And, you know, because I am a Black queer man, I am so happy that Black love is not limited to people who are famous or heterosexual. Mm -hmm. And there's been a rise, a cultural rise in the images of Black queer love, both on and off screen. What do you think about this new, I would say, proliferation, if you will, of images of Black queer love?
0: Listen, I love to see it. I mean, I remember... One of the shows that was kind of risky and if, oh, do you watch this? It was one of those like secret conversations that you had. One of my favorite shows ever is Noah's Ark. I wish that they brought that back. Noah Chance. Like, listen, my people, my boys who I watched and you're like, I'm going to be so completely honest with you. Shows like that helped me in my journey of not being a homophobe and a bigot. Because I'll say, I mean, in my teens, of course, you know, you say stupid stuff, blah, 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 whatever. It comes and it grows, but it's seeing those kinds of depictions on screen, especially. And I know that, you know, there are people who are like, see, there's okay agenda that Black trying to turn men into females and blah, 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 and all this other nonsense. But I think it's one of those things where you have to see those images on screen because, one, we have been... So just embedded in this heteronormative representation of everything, right? So I don't understand, say, for instance, when people are like, well, why do they always have like gays on this episode? Like, oh, here we go. The shy is turning queer, which I was like, who the hell wrote it? You morons. But all of these things, you know, or even what's Chuck Lisa, P Valley, you know, and the here goes this representation of, again, black queer love. Like you have a trans man and then this, I'm assuming that he's this gender, you know, black man who is loving this trans woman I think seeing that and being able for people to see themselves right so I know for me there are certain shows that I can't watch anymore I can't watch friends anymore because when I'm like who was the one damn black person we had on there? Gabriel Union for like two, three episodes? All right, like this is not for me. I realized that I've been actively choosing shows that if they do not have several black characters, I'm not watching, I'm not interested in. And that's because it is important to me to be able to see people who look like me, who perhaps, you know, think like me or their characters represent people like me why is it that we can celebrate that and we understand that but there are certain people who are like i don't understand why there's so many gays or trans people on the screen you like to be represented you like to feel as though people are seeing accurate representations of yourself why is it that you're trying to deprive that of anyone else and i think it's one of those situations i always credit it to think of modern family right and i remember modern family is again one of my favorite shows not a lot of black people on there at all except for kevin Hart and like a couple stints (laughs) like i remember seeing like interviews and stuff with the guys who plays mitch and cam and they're like yo people have come up to us and they're saying oh you know my son is gay and he's such a cam he's such a mitchell and all these things and i didn't understand him at first but i think your show helped me understand and empathize with them That's why shows like Pose are important. That's why shows like Noah's art are important. Like, I see these representations, like I saw Pose, fell in love with India Moore, fell in love with Billy Porter, fell in love with MJ Rodriguez. And I'm like, damn, these are people too. These are folks who are entitled to love, entitled to respect, and entitled to humanity, right? So yeah, I love to see it. Give me more. <laughs> I want to see more, but actually I kind of want to flip it around for you, Jaren. Like, so yes, let's answer this question. I'm, I'm sure you have your own thoughts on <laughs> these representations, but something that I definitely noticed was Hollywood in general tends to do this weird thing, especially if they are representing like a black gay man, his partner, the representation of love that Hollywood brings forth is very rarely black love, like two visibly black, Queer people, whether that is, you know, lesbians, non-binaries, gay men, the partner is always non-black. What do you think about that?
1: Well, first I'll say that as, you know, a Black queer or once being a Black queer young boy, I didn't have images of Black queer love. I didn't have healthy images. So when I was growing up, when I was trying to reconcile my sexuality, I just always assumed that my future in terms of my sexuality, because I definitely wasn't thinking about love, was all about being in secret. We had to explore our sexuality in secret. And Mm -hmm. you always assume that that's just how life's going to be, that you either pretend to love your wife, get married have children, or you choose to be single for the rest of your life and doing whatever in the dark. And as I got a little bit older and seeing something like Noah's Ark, seeing a Black queer marriages and healthy relationships and black queer men who own their sexuality was very impactful because it was like, oh, I can do this out loud. You know, yeah, there was like queer as folk and but I had to rely on white queer images to try to imagine what my life, what my future would look like as a black queer young boy. And to answer your question about Hollywood and representation of black queer love and the lack thereof, I have to say it is disappointing when I look at Hollywood and every black queer man that I can think of is with a white man. Mm -hmm. But I also understand what could be at play there. And part of that is that much in the same way that racism and misogyny and patriarchy had these negative impacts in the relationship, relationships between black men and black women, it's the same for black queer men. There's a lot of trauma that exists within black men. So that trauma is compounded when you think about trying to figure out who am I as a black man, but then also trying to figure out who am I having an attraction to the same sex. And for many black men, they struggle to reconcile those two things. And it, lends itself to being this lifelong battle of self-acceptance and loving yourself and owning your sexuality. Because there are a lot of Black men, honestly, who are still struggling. And there are some Black men who are attracted to Black women and they're attracted to Black men and they're attracted to Black trans women, but they feel like there's not a safe space out there where a society who will embrace them for their sexual fluidity. And so, now trying to find a black man of my own to have a healthy black queer relationship. I do notice that there are a lot of us who still have trauma and it makes it difficult because someone like me who has really desperately fought to get through my traumas and my insecurities around my sexuality and my race and going to therapy every week. And to do that work and then you come out you go back into the, to the dating scene, you're like, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready for love. <laughs> then you look around, was like, oh, there's not a lot of healthy Black gay men out there. They're still going through the process. And for many of them, it's a long process. And I thank God that, you know, I don't think it's ever over, but I'm grateful that at 31, I have a greater sense of who I am and I'm proud to be a Black gay man. But by and large, I think there's still a gap there amongst Black queer men. And so there was a time where I was like, listen, this is not going well. Maybe I should think about dating white men. To be honest, you know, I say it kind of jokingly and it's kind of, not a a joke because when you really want love and you want a healthy relationship You're open, your heart is open. And if you feel like your black queer peers are not there with you, they're not ready, then you'll look elsewhere. And so I think some of that is rooted in just the trauma that black queer men are still navigating through. And then some of it, it might be a centering of whiteness in a way that maybe they don't even realize. But when you look at the examples that we have in Hollywood, at least, you know that there's something that might be going on there. But I will say that there are a lot of healthy black queer relationships elsewhere. When I go on Instagram, there's a lot of couples, you know, there's a lot of influencers on Instagram. There are beautiful black gay couples who have children and they're married and they model what's out there to the masses. Mm-hmm. And. I wish that I can say that this can all be solved by just, you know, saying everyone should just be themselves. We know that there are institutions and societal ideas and opinions that make it very difficult for people to live in their truth. And so Black queer love still in this infant stage we have a lot of work to do there, but it takes the individual person to do that work for themselves. And I just charge heterosexual Black women and heterosexual Black men to do the work to create safer spaces for people who identify within the LGBTQ community that we can all have healthy, loving relationships. You
0: know, that you made such a great point. And again, here I am telling y'all a little bit of my business. As a person who has dated bisexual men, and I mean, some who were openly bisexual and some who I had to find out later, you know, what all is going on here? I can say, like, from those experiences, I know how, especially for bisexual Black men, how hard it is to be able to, like, live in that truth and be honest about it. And I think it's one of those things of, like, I honestly would love to see better representations of that. I think that there's a silencing around the bisexual community, especially as it relates to bisexual Black men. I mean, we've had little discussions here and there. I thank you, Issa Rae and, you know, Issa and Molly and and that boy she was dating, Jared, that man she was dating and she was his one experience with a dude and how that spurred conversation. But I think like there needs to be a myth buster in that of bisexual people, especially bisexual men, bisexual Black men anyway, are not automatically promiscuous. They're not automatically cheaters, no. Infidelity has nothing to do with any of that. A straight man will cheat on you, a straight woman will cheat on you, who the hell cares? You know what I mean? It has nothing to do with who they're attracted to. And I would also like to see a more of a healthy push towards black bisexual men being able to be loved openly and freely from black straight women and you know black gay men, whoever that you happen to be attracted to. I think like we need to be breaking down those myths. And speaking of breaking down myths surrounding black love, did you know, Jaron, that in the 2015 Pew research study, about 75% of recently married Black men were married to Black women. And now I'll say this, that kind of shocked me a little bit because when you think about it, how Hollywood and a little bit of the media, you know, it's crazy how the numbers say one thing, but predominant culture tends to say another. And it makes you wonder, "Mm, is there an anti-Black love campaign going on there? And I'll say, I can speak for myself. I was upstairs at my parents' house and we were watching TV and these three commercials came on back to back. I kid you not. One was like an Etsy commercial, not the one with the gay guys, because that was beautiful. But the one was like an Etsy commercial another one was like I don't know it was something the neighbors were had clogs or something like that and were doing clogs the upstairs neighbors were doing clogs I don't know what the hell the commercial was for and there was another commercial that was like a serial commercial and all three commercials had a black woman and a white man and I remember going what the hell is going on I was like this is the agenda that we need to be talking about what is this <laughs> so what do you think Jerry
1: I did not know I did not see those figures but That's interesting. I think that it makes you question the institutions and who's at power in terms of who is responsible for Mm -hmm. pushing out these images. And you think about who's the one booking these actors for these commercials? You know, white people, the white man, I hate to be the sound of that person, but it seems like they have the authority to say, how are we going to represent black love? Or black relationships. And I think that because we're in this stage of like diversity, it's now becoming kind of sexy or something as seen as uh, the new standard to show racially ambiguous family, interracial family. And I think that there's value to that. And I understand from a national standpoint why that could be helpful.
0: Let me just say, Tamara Maori would love you for that right now, okay? Because interracial marriages matter. Tamara Citro, you know, go ahead. Sorry, Jared, I don't mean to interrupt.
1: But we can't do that at the expense of black erasure we have to understand that before we can talk about interracial relationships mixed race families and relationships they're still repairing to do with just at the bare minimum Mm -hmm. black love and so We're kind of skipping steps. And so when you see something like black men marry 70 percent, marry black women, it tells you that this myth, I guess, based on this data, this myth that black men don't want to be with black women is not true. And it makes you question, then why do we think that? And I think it plays into popular culture. When we look at sports figures with white women, it's very easy when you see that time and time again to assume that, well, that's what all the Black men are doing.
0: White women who look like Black women. Let's make sure we have that distinction.
1: (laughs) That's another thing to unpack. Mm -hmm. But there's a connection, I think, between Black men and money and dating and marrying white women. But the average Black man don't have the money of an NBA superstar. When we're talking about the average Black man, I guess that does kind of makes sense when you think about 70 percent. i can see that but i would love to know the numbers about how many black marriages are actually out there because i think the challenge is there's not enough of black men marrying black women and maybe not how it was you know in previous generations and so I don't know. What do you think?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a weird thing to watch (laughs) play out. And I mean, if I were to put my tinfoil hat on, I'm like, you see, this is how these white people is trying to divide us right now. Oh, only white men will love black women. Nah. (laughs) Like, no, no, I'm good. But. I do have a quick question for you as we're talking about all this black love what kind of black love do you envision for
1: your life i just envision black love that is free i want to feel free i want to see a man who sees me the way that god sees me the way that i see myself and i don't want to have to dim my light change who i am to have love he should already accept me as i am it should be mutual And I should be able to freely think and be as I am and vice versa. And that's really all I really truly desire. What about you?
0: For me, kind of like what you said, you know, I say this affirmation every night. Thank you, Lana, shout out to Lana Adams. You know, and it is one of the lines in there is, I never have to sacrifice parts of myself for happiness with someone that I love. That is my goal. i realized that I've done that in the past a lot, where you tweak it. There's a thing about compromise, which I mean, Eartha Kitt would laugh at you, compromise, <laughs> you know, but I think especially women have a tendency because we, we all wanna be chose, I mean, you know, try not to be a me, but everybody wants to be chose, where you give up bits and pieces of yourself to try and fit with someone else. I'm not interested in that and that doesn't serve me. So if he's not pouring into me, and I'm not pouring into him, then what's the purpose? And at the end of the day, what my black love needs to look like is a partnership. I have no intention and no wants or desires for a traditional marriage. We'll talk one day about what that means, exactly. But I have no desire for any of that. But what I do have a desire for is to know that I'm waking up every day with someone who is looking at like life (laughs) with me and the things that we have to endure, whether it's raising these badass kids, whether it's just trying to get out of debt, where all of these things, that that's my ride or die at the end of the day.
1: Now let's check in with The Griot's entertainment director, Courtney Wills, who interviewed Eugene Ash, the director of the Amazon film,
2: Sylvie's Love.
3: Courtney Wills, The Griot.
2: Hey, what's up Courtney?
3: Hi Eugene, how are you? Great. Oh, good. You know, I saw this film at Sundance and then I just watched it again. And it struck me how wrapped up I got in it all over again, even almost a year apart from the viewing.
2: That's nice to hear.
3: Yeah, the chemistry that was jumping off of the screen between Tessa and Amde—it was so palpable. And I remember both times now feeling so invested in their relationship for the first 45 minutes of the film and so incredibly frustrated for most <laughs> of the rest of the film. And those emotions came back and it left me wondering, you know, was that the point to kind of wrap us up in all the emotion that comes with you know,
2: such a big love like this. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted you to really feel that kind of sense of loss when they're apart and the sense of joy when they come back together. You know, it's a really tough, and you know, I could have put you through it a lot more. I had to rein it in, did some screenings where people were like, no! Mm -hmm. That was, so, that was did one did of the, the little, yeah. to yeah, take it a little easy on you because I had them really, really, it was really, really sad. Then I got happy again.
3: What is the best part, I guess, about being able to write a Black love story like this that for me, I mean, rivals all of the greats, you know, the ones that I watched 10 and 20 times. I feel like this is instantly on that list of films that I will keep going back to and that these characters that, you know, were developed so beautifully are ones that we're probably going to be talking about and fighting over and, you know, empathizing
2: with for years to come. I hope so. I mean, that was really the intention. I love those movies too, watching them, everything from, you know, Mahogany to Love Jones. So there's a lot of romantic comedies right now, but not a lot of just straight love story dramas. And I really miss that as a form and as a genre, you know, so I really wanted to create one that would live in that canon of films.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, this is also a time where we got to see this love that felt so right, still have all of these obstacles, you know, to overcome. It wasn't a seamless journey for these two to be together. And, you know, what does that say, I guess, about how people, I think, look at relationships that work? You know, it's like they don't work all the time or, you know, they'll work eventually.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, that's exactly it, is that it's not, it is it is not complicated and there are a lot of outside forces, not just obstacles like things happening to Robert like at his job, but outside forces can be your family or other people who are involved in your life who can kind of set you on a different path, you know? So there are all of these things we have to contend with as humans to kind of try to figure out what choices we should make, you know? And sometimes there are other people's choices. In Sylvie's case, her mother was trying to make choices for her, you know? Mm -hmm. So how do you navigate that?
3: Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today. I so appreciate it. Love the, I love the film, and I'm so excited for people to find Thanks, this.
2: Please Courtney, tell your friends.
3: <laughs> I will. Take care.
1: Thank you to Courtney for that great interview. I loved Sylvie's love, by the way. And whether in the 50s or the 21st century, Black love will always withstand the test of time.
0: remind our listeners to support your local black businesses and donate to your local organizations and religious institutions. The business that we will highlight this week is The Honey Pot Company. The Honey Pot Company is the first full plant-derived all-natural feminine care system in the market founded by black femme entrepreneur Beatrice Dixon. Founded on the belief that all products should be free of chemicals, parabens, carcinogens, and sulfates, The Honey Pot Company offers an extensive range of organic and natural feminine care products made for humans with vaginas by humans with vaginas. Products range from natural menstrual products such as tampons, pads, and cups, to panty sprays, vulva creams, and much more. The brand also has a mommy to be collection consisting of wipes, a hygiene wash, and postpartum herbal pads, among others. Not to mention, you'll probably piss off a few, well, what about white women's vaginas? You know, from subtly racist white women and their non-vagina having counterparts. So (laughs) be sure to check out their products. I'm a big fan and have used Honey Pot for a number of years. So check out their website at thehoneypot.co. That's that's T-H-E-H-O-N-E-Y-P-O-T dot C-O. The Grio has published a list of 50 plus Black businesses to support during the coronavirus pandemic. If you'd like your business to be featured, email us at info at That's G-R-I-O
1: dot com. Thank you for listening to Dear Culture. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know.
0: And of course, please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments. We love those! To podcast at the, the Dear Culture podcast is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Blue Talusma and co-produced by Sunda Sasan and Kevin Y. Brown. See you
3: next week.